0: Well, Welcome everybody at all of our campuses, meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. Glad you made it to church. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online. More and more of you are joining us online around the country and world. It's always great to have you, especially on Easter. And if this is your first time ever at our church, or maybe the second time, I especially want to welcome you and just invite you to kind of sit back and take it in, um, let it come to you. But before we get started, uh, next week we do begin a new series called I Believe in God, But, because according to Gallup... 90% of all Americans still believe in God, 90%. But there's a but oftentimes associated with that. I believe in God, but how can I be sure that my belief is true? What's the evidence for God? I believe in God, but but I don't believe in absolute truth. Some people will say, so this is gonna be a fantastic series, especially for those of you who have questions or even objections to the Christian faith. We invite you all back. It's going to be fantastic for everyone who comes, so don't miss next week. But today I want to raise a question for everybody just to think about it, all of our campuses online today. And the question is this, what do you hope for in life? I think everybody has hopes for some things. For some of you, maybe it's to graduate, finally to graduate. Maybe it's to hope to find true love One day to win the lottery, lose some weight. What are your hopes? I think all of us hope for something, but if you had just one hope, if you had just one hope, what would that be today? One of the things that I hoped for for my daughter when she was in college was that she would find a good Christian guy to marry someday. Uh, But when she brought him home for the first time for me to meet him, I, I, I wasn't sure at all. And then she wanted to bring him up north to visit my wife and me near Bay, Bayfield, Wisconsin, where I was doing some writing. And it was the first time that I really had ex- had any extended time with him. His, nix, nix, na- his, nix name. his nickname is Nellie, last name Nelson. We call him Nellie. This was nine years ago. So she brought him up to where I was writing. And I'm sure he felt insecure around me like he was being scrutinized, because he was <laughs> being scrutinized. And... So my wife came up to me the next day. She said, Bob, why don't you take the boy trout fishing? I said, well, I guess I can do that. But, you know, fishing on a stream with brush and trees all over the place is very difficult. But I guess I can ask him. So I went over to, to Nellie. He was reading a book. He's actually studying for an exam. And I said, so Nellie, you don't want to go fishing or anything, do you? <laughs> he said, Sure. I said, all right. So he threw my gear into the truck, and on the way, I said, have you ever been trout fishing? He said, no. I said, well, these are native trout, so if they see or hear you, they're going to dart under a boulder or under a log, and they're not going to bite if they see you. And casting is a real challenge. In a lot of brush, you have to cast your spinner under a lot of limbs and stuff. Oftentimes, you only get one chance, one good shot at a particular spot. I said, why don't we go down by this bridge and practice casting for a while, because this is the widest place on the stream. His first cast landed on the bank and snagged the ground, not even close. His second cast snagged the bush behind him, and so he had to undo that. His third cast sailed high into the trees, and snagged in the tree, so he splashed downstream, spooked all the fish, yanked the spinner out of the tree, splashed back upstream. I I said, why don't you keep practicing, even though all the trout in this area are long gone? So he practiced, I prayed. I said, God, please have mercy. If he's going to catch a fish, it's going to take a miracle. No kidding, on about the 15th cast, after splashing all around this place, the only trout left in the county rose up, nabbed his spinner. I said, Nellie, you got one, reel him in. And it was a total miracle. Had to be. For the next three hours, I watched him cast his spinner into the bushes and trees. He snagged himself a couple times and never did catch another trout. I sat on the bank watching this kid. And I thought to myself, I hope my daughter knows what she's doing. (laughs) I hope Nellie is a better man then he is a fisherman and i got to tell you he is he's a fantastic man of god i couldn't have hoped for a better son-in-law he loves god with all his heart he's a great husband he's a fantastic dad i love him like my own boy i love him the point is i hope that meg would someday marry a great guy and she did But when it comes to what we hope for in life, there's no guarantees, is there? You know, sometimes people never do find love, or they do and it doesn't work, or couples can't conceive, or jobs get lost, and marriages end, and hope gets lost. In fact, before his arrest and crucifixion, many people had hoped that Jesus was actually the Son of God that he was the savior of the world. I mean, he healed sick people. He gave sight to people who had been blind all their life. Several times he took a couple of loaves of bread and fed 5,000, 3,000, 4,000 different people and they had leftovers. So crowds began to flock to him. He couldn't go anywhere and people would follow him. People like James and John left their livelihoods to follow him. When he arrived on the scene, John the Baptist pointed at Jesus and said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I mean, there was nobody like him. But then he got arrested. The Savior of the world is not supposed to get arrested. The Son of God isn't supposed to get betrayed and beaten and sentenced to death. I was reading through the Gospel of Mark recently, and a single statement just stopped me cold. You ought to read it sometime all over again. Just recently, this single statement. And they crucified him. In broad daylight, when I read that statement recently, I got out my journal and I wrote down these words. In broad daylight, they crucified him. They laid a cross on the ground. Jesus was stretched out on it. They took each arm, held it against the beam, and they hammered a spike through his hands, the flesh ripping, the tendons severing, the blood pooling in the dirt underneath the beam. I wrote yesterday, he was with his friends just walking and teaching, but today at 9 o'clock in the morning, They crucified him. For everybody to see and wonder what terrible thing he must have done to deserve this punishment. And then they lifted the cross into a hole and dropped down, jerking and pulling on Jesus' wounds. And he hung there for six hours until he suffocated and died. They crucified him. And hope was gone. And by the way, if if you're not a Jesus follower here today or watching online, and I, I had one shot, just one shot to convince you to put your trust in Jesus as your Savior, I would not point to the fact that he was a great teacher or a great miracle worker. If all we can say is that Jesus was a great teacher and miracle worker, I would not waste my time trying to convince you to follow him because I wouldn't follow him for those reasons. The only reason I'm here today, honestly, in fact, I texted my daughter before I came out here and I took a shot of you guys on my phone and I I texted her, I said, how'd you like to walk out in front of that today? (laughs) And she said, no way. (laughs) It scares me every single time. The only reason I'm here today, the only reason why three billion Christians around the world are worshiping Jesus this weekend isn't because he was a great teacher or a great miracle worker. It's because a dead man rose from the grave. You have to understand something. That when Jesus died, it was game over for those who followed him. The men and women who traveled with him were healed by him and watched him perform miracles. Not one of them expected him to come back to life. So on Easter morning, when Mary went to pay her respects and saw the body was gone, she ran back to tell the disciples they were all hiding, fearful of their own life. Maybe they're next, because they were followers of Jesus. She ran back, and this is what she said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. I mean, the only explanation for a missing body was somebody stole it. Not that there was a resurrection because people don't come back to life after they've been beaten and run through with a spear like Jesus had been and then executed. People don't come back to life after that. For those who followed him and watched him do miracles on the day he died, I'm telling you, gang, it was over with. But two mornings later, Two of Jesus' friends were on their way way from Jerusalem to to Emmaus, which is about a two-hour walk. I want you to see this this conversation, this exchange that took place. and, And Luke records it in Luke chapter 24. Look what they say. They were talking to each other, these two friends of Jesus, about everything that had happened. As they discussed these things, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing who he was. Now, Jesus was the most recognized person of that day, but somehow God had prevented them from recognizing the resurrected Lord. Or my theory is that they're just a couple of guys and they don't pay attention to stuff. (laughs) You know, Jesus kind of saddles up next to them and their heads are down and they're in this conversation. And so Jesus engages them in conversation. What were you discussing together, he says. The Bible says they stopped walking. And Cleopas said... To Jesus, are you the only one, he says, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what things have happened the past few days? In other words, have you been living under a rock? Are you the only one who doesn't know that Jesus Christ has been crucified? And I think Jesus, just to mess with them, said, what things? They said about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed. But the chief priests and rulers sentenced him to death, and they crucified him. And now this next sentence is so key. Look what they they said. We had hoped. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to redeem us. Because you see in the Old Testament, and these were Jewish people having this conversation, the Old Testament, God said that he would send a savior one day to redeem people from their sins and for the Jews to set them free from oppression. And so along came this amazing leader who had supernatural power to perform miracles. So people started saying, he must be the guy. He's got to be the one sent from God to set us free. But then he was crucified, and their hope was crushed, and that's why these two men were so defeated and despondent and confused. But then the Bible says Jesus opened their minds, and they recognized him, and he reminded them of how the Old Testament predicted these things, that a Savior would come, he would suffer, he would die, and be raised on the third day to break the curse of death And then as soon as he engaged them in conversation, the Bible says he walked off and disappeared. So these two guys, they run back to the other disciples and they tell them Jesus was alive and as they were spilling over their words, it says in Luke 24, suddenly Jesus stood among them and said, peace be with you. But they were terrified. Thinking they were seeing a ghost. Now why did they think he was a ghost? Because dead people don't come back to life. They thought he was a ghost, but Jesus said, look, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And then he opened their minds and reminded them what the scripture said, that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and forgiveness. I love this, this word and forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations. The Bible says for the next 40 days, Jesus walked around. He ate. He appeared to them numerous times and places. To Thomas, remember Thomas? Thomas said, I will not believe this. He wasn't at that meeting, that initial meeting when when Jesus appeared the first time. He said, I will not believe until I can see the wounds in his hands and touch his side. I will not believe it. Jesus appeared to Peter, James, and John, and all the others, and he told them to take this message of his resurrection to all the nations. Gang, I'm telling you, the only reason you and I are here today because these people poured into the streets of Jerusalem, and they did not say he was a great teacher. They did not say he was a great miracle worker. They did not say he predicted the future and cast out demons, even though Jesus did all those things. They poured into the streets, and their story was this. Not that Jesus lived, but that he lives. And the reason millions of us worship him as our Savior and God is because they saw him die. But then they saw him alive again, and that never happened before, and it's never happened since. And in that moment, they crossed the line From thinking he was just a great teacher and miracle worker to actually trusting him as their Savior and their God. And that's why I'm here today and why many of you are here today. But that brings me back to my original question What do you hope for? What do you hope for in this life? Is it just to graduate? Is it just to have fun and watch the wild play and lose? Is it just to get married, make money, and retire someday? Nothing wrong with any of those things. But could I offer just a couple other hopes? This is why Jesus came to this planet. Number one hope is forgiveness. This is so key for all of us. Forgiveness throughout Jesus' ministry He would say to someone, your sins are forgiven, and then an amazing thing would happen. They were set free. They were set free and started living a new life. Gang, I bring this up because some of you are sitting here saying to yourself, Bob, there's no way God could forgive me for what I've done. There's no way. I've gone too far. I'm not worthy of forgiveness. I will live with this guilt for the rest of my life. Anybody here feel like you're beyond hope? Beyond God's forgiveness? What if you knew that today you could walk out of here completely forgiven of anything you've ever done? That thing that just haunts you and you feel guilty about and you can't seem to get past it. What would you say if you knew you could be clean? Forgiven. A couple of weeks ago, I'm a person who needs to be forgiven, by the way, every day. A couple weeks ago, I drove into White Bear Lake to grab a takeout sandwich at this little restaurant, eat, great little restaurant, and there's a half-mile a stretch on Buffalo Avenue near our house, where over the past 26 years, I've drove, driven this half-mile half stretch at least 20,000 times. Drive it so often, I don't even think when I'm on it. But two weeks ago, I was halfway, no kidding, I was halfway through a Reuben sandwich, when I shot down Buffalo Avenue, and within seconds, a cop lit up his squad car and pulled me over, and I was, I thought, oh, not again, and I thought, I was so guilty, I was, I was so guilty that I just grabbed my license and registration before I got there. I stuck him out the window, and when he got to my window, I said, man, you were in a good spot. I never saw you. And he smiled, he said, "Well, how's your record?" I said, "Well, I think it's OK because I can't remember if you know the last one had cleared or not." So he grabbed my license, <laughs> grabbed my license, and as he walked back toward his car, he kind of said to me, "44 and a 30." I said, "Yeah, I'm toast." <laughs> he came back. And this is what he said: "Because you were so honest. because you are so honest, I'm going to give you a reduced ticket. $60, and it won't go on your record. And I thought, thought, because I'm so honest, are you kidding me? And I am not proud of this. And I have such high, high regard for our law enforcement. I love you guys and gals who are out there doing that. But I've gone 44 in that 30 20,000 times at least. No kidding. My fine should be $60 million, not $60. And that's just for violations on Buffalo. By the way, I blame my mother. She's 85 and she's about this tall. She drives like a maniac. She can hardly see over the thing. And it's, I don't know where I get this. Add to that the countless times I've lost my temper. I've said hurtful words, outbursts of anger, jealousy, greed. I'm telling you, gained tens of thousands of sins. I've avoided the biggies like murder. (laughs) But the truth about me, I'm telling you, the truth about me is that my debt of sin is so enormous, I could never pay for it. The traffic cop only sees part of my record, but God sees all of my record and my record is so filled with sin I could never pay for it all. That's why I need a savior. That's why I need someone to pay for it for me. I need a God who is big enough and powerful enough to take my penalty and cover my sin John the Baptist said, look, behold, the Lamb of God. He's the perfect Lamb, the perfect sacrificial Lamb. He's powerful enough to take away your sin and my sin and the sins of the world, and that's why he came. His death was the supreme payment for your sins and mine. And the Bible says anyone who received Jesus' payment for sins, is forgiven, and he doesn't just reduce the fine, he cancels it. Anybody need to be forgiven of something today? This is your day. That leads to a second hope, and that's the hope for relationship. The hope for relationship. This is the essence of life. So life's all about. When this is going well, life goes well. When this isn't going well, life stinks. This verse, John three sixteen, God so loves this world. God so loves every single person hearing these words. God so loves you. He knows you by name that he gave his only son That whoever believes in him, puts their trust in him, will not perish but have eternal life. God wants a relationship with every person here, but our sin separates us from God. So God sent Jesus to pay for that sin, erase the sin that separates, separates us from God so we could have a relationship with him. And I know that some of you are saying, but Bob, why do I need a relationship with God? Because God created you for relationship, first with himself and then with other people. The reason, gang, the reason some of you feel so alone, so afraid and so empty in this world is you're disconnected from the God who made you and the God who loves you. And the God who knows everything about you and wants a relationship with you, John wrote these words. He says, now this is the essence of life. This is where joy and purpose and fulfillment is found, that you may know him, the only true God. That's where life begins. My favorite holiday is Thanksgiving, and the way I like to spend it is at home. I love getting up early to get the turkey in the oven, and then my wife and I take a long walk in the crisp morning, we get our exercise. We come home, you can begin to smell the turkey wafting through the house. I build a fire out back. No chaos on Thanksgiving for us. No nutty relatives. It's just us and our adult kids, and they're not nutty, so they come on over. But last year, last year, we had to drive eight hours down to Columbia, Missouri, because that's where my daughter and my son-in-law now live. He's in residency there. Nelly was at, on call at the hospital, so they couldn't drive up. So my wife and I drove down with my son and his wife, Sarah. But it's a tiny house. It's not set up for guests. And they have no storage whatsoever. So we were sitting around doing nothing. And we decided to build Nelly some garage shelving. But we had no lumber. Nellie has nothing, basically no lumber, nothing. So the three of us men went dumpster diving Thanksgiving morning. A doctor, pastor, and lawyer went dumpster diving. Sounds like a joke, but it was no joke. So he brought home some lumber in Nelly's Toyota Corolla. And I want to show you a picture of this. So the lumber's in the back, and the the back thing is open. And what's wrong with this picture? You know, the two young guys, they stick grandpa in the back. What's wrong with this world anyway? Anyway, that's, that's what we did. Got the lumber out, but we had No screws. No screws. So that evening, we went to Walmart to buy some screws. Thanksgiving evening. I've never been to Walmart on Thanksgiving ever. Ever, Every redneck from Missouri was at that Walmart. Thanksgiving, hordes, hordes of people standing around piles of crap, waiting for Black Friday to open up. And there I was in the middle of all this I shouldn't have said that on Easter, should I, that word. Sorry about that. Here's my point, if you would have told me, if you would have told me that on Thanksgiving morning, I would have been in a dumpster, and on Thanksgiving evening, I'd have been at a Walmart looking for screws, I'd say you're crazy. So why? Why? Would I leave the comfort and glory of my own home and travel down into all that mess? There's only one reason. It's relationship. I would go anywhere. I would do anything for my daughter who I love more than my own life. I'd go anywhere for her. But I'm telling you, the love that I have for my kids is just a fraction of the love that the Heavenly Father has for each one of you. God so loves this world, God so loves each of you that he left heaven and came into the mess of our Walmart world (laughs) to have a relationship with each one of you. Folks, it's not enough just to know about this. It's not enough just to know about God's love. You have to receive it because the verse goes on to say that whoever believes in him, and this believe, is not just, oh, I think he exists up there, I believe in It's I trust him. I am looking to him. I am inviting him into my life. Those who believe in him, have a relationship with him, will have eternal life, and do you have that? Have you put your full trust in Jesus to forgive sin and begin a relationship with you? But that leads to a final hope. And that's hope beyond the grave. (laughs) I love the Psalms. Many of you do too. David, the writer in Psalm 89, he asks a very important question. He says, what person can live and not see death? Great question. Well, the answer is nobody. If you're alive, you're going to die. What person can live and not see death? The next statement, he says, then who can save himself from the power of the grave? In other words, who can pull himself up out of the ground? Nobody. And he thinks about these two questions in Psalm 39. He says, you know, my only hope is God. Of course. The Apostle Peter writes, my only hope is the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead, life beyond the grave. I wanna tell you about Scott Renke. Scott turned 60 just a month ago in March. But last September, he had brain cancer. He learned he had brain cancer, and after a couple of treatments, it got worse. And he was given just two months to live. Scott is facing death in a way that's really hard to understand. But last Wednesday, I got a chance to sit down and talk with Scott about his final days on earth, and I want to let you see that interview, and then I'm gonna come back up and we'll finish up. Watch this.
1: I know it sounds cliche, but the first time I met Scott, I knew he was the one. We got married in 1978 when I was only 19 and 39 years later, he still takes the time to text me every morning just to say, I love you. Together, we've been blessed with four amazing kids and two beautiful grandchildren. Scott absolutely adores each of them and somehow has found a way to be their hero and their biggest fan all at the same time. My husband is a man who always puts others first. And when you see him, He'll make you feel like he's been waiting all day just for the chance to talk to you. He makes us laugh, tears up during movies, and is the most genuine man I've ever met. But most importantly, Scott stands firm in his faith no matter what. In the six months since his cancer diagnosis, I have watched his unwavering faith guide him through the twists, turns, and detours of a disease that without a miracle will take his life. It's been a test of strength and perseverance, but when I look into his eyes, what I see most is peace and hope.
0: It's an honor for me to be here and uh, I'm really, really sorry. Thank you. For what you've been going through. But Scott, I just want you to know how much God loves you. And uh, I just think that it's amazing (laughs) that you're willing to Talk about this, and if God can use this story in some way to reach somebody else, mm-hmm. really, that's what you want. So, Scott, you're 60.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know how old I am? 60. Talk to me about this, the issue of fairness. I mean, didn't this go through your heart? God, why me? Uh,
2: yes, I had the concern of timing. I have such a wonderful family. I enjoy every day. I love my work. I love who I work with. I love, I'm a loving guy. I just, I like to live. And I'm gonna tear up here because who I feel bad for, of course, is Tammy and my kids. Just to have, you know, my absence that they have to deal with. But I also know they understand my heart They understand my belief because it's one that they share. And I know that there's going to be a lot of blessings that come out of this.
0: So, Scott, you maybe have weeks before you leave this this planet Mm -hmm. and enter into heaven. But you said you're not afraid. Why can you say that, that God Mm -hmm. is real, that Jesus is waiting for you? How do you know that?
2: because I believe it in the deepest part of my heart and soul. This is not scary. I know that this life of ours is a gift. You don't get second chances in this, and this is what God has put together for me for my life journey. You know, I'm sure there are people that probably say, well, he's dying, and he likely is just hanging on to everything he can. When in reality, I'm dying, but I am so excited to enter heaven. I'm excited for it.
0: Why are you so excited?
2: I'm starting to pack my bags and I hope this doesn't sound strange, but this process of preparing it's enjoyable. What do you mean? I can't wait to enter the kingdom. And where that confidence or knowing comes from, I don't have a profound knowledge about that. All I can say is, I know what my salvation is. How can that not be exciting?
0: Tammy, how about you when you hear Scott talk about, this is his time. This is what God, God's plan is for Scott. How do you respond to what he says?
1: It took me a while, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, it took me a long time to, to accept probably even the last four or five weeks that he's mm-hmm. dying. You have total faith that family is going to be fine because God's going to be there for us as much as he is for you. But I have to say that it's horrifying. Mm-hmm. And, and, and after you're gone, I don't know what I'm going to do mm-hmm. or who I'm going to be.
2: You know, you guys are going to miss me. And time's gonna run a little slower. But do you realize our time on earth? Yeah. Boom. Boom. Is a blink of an eye. That's right. And we're gonna be reunited. Yeah.
0: In reality, life is short.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, we don't wish it away. Right. But boy, we better have a we better have a reality that we can cling to. And that right. reality is, you know, Easter, that Jesus died. Mm-hmm. And rose again, and promise is the same for every one of us who claim, right. claim Him to be Lord. Right. right, And as hard as this is, this is, and is going to be, God still is in charge of your life, right, mm-hmm. and of your life. Yep,
2: exactly.
0: God could heal him. But the reason, the reason Scott isn't afraid, the reason he's almost excited is because he's known God all his life. And this This event, this passing is just a step um, where he'll see God face to face, but it's just a continuation of the relationship he's had with him all life long. And if you don't have that, start. Ask God to come into your life. Get to know him. Here's what I'm hoping for this Easter, that hundreds of you will find what Scott has, forgiveness of every sin, a relationship with God that will lead you and carry you and comfort you all through life. And then the promise of life beyond the grave. What a deal. Who wouldn't want that? And so at all campuses, you can just stay seated for one brief moment. I'm going to have a brief prayer with you, but I'm going to be praying specifically for those of you who are ready to make this decision to put your trust into Jesus, your full trust in Jesus as your Savior, your forgiver, your God. And so, at all campuses, let's just quiet our, our hearts just for one more minute here and let's pray. And for those of you especially who are going to be praying this prayer for the first time, this is, this is your moment. This is your day. Let's pray together. All campuses, even online. Bow. Father, thank you so much uh, for this truth, this reality. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Coming into my life, speaking to me. Leading me all the way through. For those of you who are ready to put your full trust in Jesus and gain forgiveness of sins, a relationship with God and eternal life when you die, I just urge you, I plead with you to pray this prayer. You can pray it quietly to yourself, God knows your heart. but pray a prayer something like this. Just pray it quietly where you're sitting or watching online. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming to this planet to live and then die to pay for my sins. Thank you for rising from the grave, breaking the awful curse of death so right now right here Jesus I put my full trust in you as my savior my God my leader I will try to follow you and worship you the rest of my days until that day we see each other face to face thank you for forgiving me in this moment of every sin I've ever committed right now in this moment I become a Christian a real one Thank you for being patient with me, Lord. But I want you in my life, and I open my heart to you right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 30 more seconds, okay? 30 more seconds. Please be respectful of this moment. I know we're very full across campuses. If you prayed that prayer, congratulations, the most important decision you've ever made. God is in your life now. He'll lead you. But it's just the beginning. And so we want to help you get started in your walk with God, your your Christian faith. And so if you prayed that prayer, we invite you to text the word believe, 555-888, and we'll send you some resources. Or you can stop at our next steps table in the lobby, and we have a Bible for you and just some resources to get you started. It's been great to be with you. I love you people. Don't know most of you. but I love what God is doing in our church. The fact that you'd come and listen and be here today says a lot about who you are. So happy Easter, everyone. God bless you.